May the words that I speak and the words that you hear be Christ's words. In Christ's name, amen. Please have a seat. First, I want to give Paula a thanks to let me preach. It's one of the reasons why I took the training to be a priest, so I could stand up here and talk to people. Um, One other thing I want to admit is that I'm a fan of Star Trek. Yeah, everyone here, Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, Star Trek. Okay, cool. Um, I usually watch it to escape from reality. And uh, I, have a, I have a revelation this week that maybe I do it to reduce my anxiety. Because people say that when you watch movies that you already know what's going to happen, the actual knowledge of what's going to happen helps to reduce stress. So for those people that don't watch Star Trek, you need to watch it many, many times. But um, anyway. Uh, but this week... The reason why I bring up Star Trek was the reading this week from the Gospel reminded me of a Star Trek movie. Um, Now, spoiler alert, so if you've never watched Star Trek and you think you might want to, you might not want to listen, but the second movie, the end of the second of the old actors of Star Trek, um, Spock, that's the pointy-eared alien, right? Spock, Spock, right? He died. He died. And it's really sad because at the end of the second movie, you figure, well, that's the end of that. Like, the team is gone and Spock is, is missing. And yet, the third series comes and guess what happens? Spock is resurrected. <laughs> right, he's resurrected. And I have to admit that, uh, that for many people, resurrection is a lot like that movie. It's science fiction, and the emphasis is on fiction. And uh, it's never been easy for people to accept, I don't think, and, and we know that from the gospel today. So it's been over 2,000 years. People have had difficulty with this whole idea of resurrection. Now, the Bible records at least 10 instances where Jesus appears to witnesses after his resurrection. And we had a bit of a dialogue in our morning prayer a Zoom meeting this week about, well, how many times does Jesus appear? And I thought, ah, simple answer. Well, it's not a simple answer because there's somewhere between 10 and 14, depending on who you talk to, but those are only the ones that got recorded in the Bible. If you remember, like, there may be lots of times things happen that didn't get in the Bible. Um, the Bible just is what get, well, that's the history that got recorded. Now, we read about one of those accounts in Luke's Gospel today. Now, the four Gospels each have interesting variations on Jesus' appearances, but they're absolutely consistent on one thing. No one believes the good news of Jesus' resurrection when they first hear it. No one. And that includes his disciples, who were closest to him and spent the most time with him. Now, earlier in Luke, before what we read today, Luke tells us that the disciples dismissed the testimony of the woman who had been to the empty tomb and seen Jesus. They had called it an idle tale or or nonsense, depending on which English translation of the Bible you read. 
But actually, those words, idle tale or nonsense, are watered-down versions of what's in the Greek. Because the Greek word Luke uses is one called liros. And it is the root of the English word delirious. So what we have is Luke telling us that the first response from the disciples that Jesus is alive is to accuse the woman who told them that she's out of her freaking mind. That's, that's the response. Nice, eh? But perhaps it's expected. Because here's the thing. In our experience, the earth is generally unwilling to cough up the dead. No matter what zombie movies and stuff we watch, in reality, that's outside of our experience. And it upsets the natural order of things. Now up to this point in Luke's Gospel, the story has recounted the disciples hearing and dismissing this woman's testimony, Peter running to the tomb and confirming that at the very least the tomb is empty, Jesus encountering two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus meeting or encountering and appearing to Simon Peter. And now Jesus has finally appeared among the disciples and invited them to touch him to dispel any doubts that they may have that he is real. And then Luke writes, While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. And I think that phrase is absolutely essential to understanding the life of faith. First, even after all that had happened, the disciples did not believe. And second, even with their disbelief, they experienced joy. They were both joyful and disbelieving at the same time. Let's recount some of the critical aspects of Luke's story up to now. First, Jesus predicted his passion and resurrection three times. Second, a group of women were told that he'd been raised. Third, two of their company meet Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Fourth, Jesus had also appeared to Simon Peter, the leader of the company of disciples. And fifth and finally, Jesus now appears to the disciples in a room right in front of them, speaking to them to calm their fears and showing them his hands and his feet and the marks left there by the nails. And yet, in spite of all this, they disbelieve. Why? Because resurrection takes time to sink in. I think we're so used to the limitations of death, the pain and challenges of life in this world, and the absolute certainty that all things must end, that new life, even when Jesus is standing right there in front of the disciples, is hard to take in, hard to accept, and hard to believe. So if you struggle to accept God's promises, give yourself a break. You are, at the very least, in excellent company. Luke was writing, if you remember, Luke was writing 
50 or 60 years after the events that he's writing about. And he was contending with resurrection deniers. And he wanted to explain that Jesus actually showed up in person. He wanted to explain to people that he invited the disciples to touch him and that he asked for food and he actually ate it. Because, you see, Luke wanted people to know that Jesus is alive. And Luke knows that this resurrection thing takes a while to sink in. After a year of living with COVID, I've come to realize that there's something fundamentally physical about our existence. We're not made to live and experience life in a virtual world. Uh, We need hugs. We need relationships. We need other people. And I think Luke wanted his gospel to hold out the hope of life and the promise of a physical, resurrected existence. And that's why it's really important for Luke that the disciples actually saw, touched, and interacted with Jesus. And it's important for him to tell people that that's what happened. Because resurrection takes time to sink in. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. There's a second reason I think that phrase is so significant. Even amid their disbelief, they experienced joy. Their joy was not limited by their disbelief. Joy doesn't require certainty or sure knowledge. You can experience it at any time because joy is a gift. The Lord helps us encounter it even when we don't expect it. And Luke uses lots and lots of adjectives in the reading to describe how the disciples reacted to the risen Jesus. They're startled, terrified, frightened, disbelieving, wondering, and joyful. That's a fair description of the Christian life, if you ask me. And when we embrace and seriously take God's promises, those are the kinds of emotions we're still going to expect. Now, if you're discouraged or doubting or grieving, you can still experience joy. It's a gift. And when it comes, we can only give thanks and celebrate. In Christ's life, ministry and death, God embraces us all and Christ teaches us that God understands us and embraces us and God accepts us, loves us, and redeems us as we are. Jesus comes for real people. He redeems real people and promises to resurrect real people. God resurrected Jesus Because God's intent is to redeem, save, and bless us as we are, mortal, limited, and vulnerable. Which should give us comfort at any time. And perhaps especially now, as this pandemic has reminded us just how physical, mortal, and limited, and vulnerable we really are. 
And in the midst of all our mortality and limitations, we hear the promise in Luke's Gospel that God in Jesus still comes for us. What's at stake in the resurrection is the promise that God gets us, God loves us, comes for us, and redeems us just as we are now, today. If it's true that God raised Jesus from the dead, that God promises to renew the whole creation and grant us new life, that nothing, nothing we've done or has been done to us can separate us from the love of God, if it's true that God will not turn God's back on us, but always reaches out to us in grace, mercy, and forgiveness, if any of this, let alone all of this, is true, then how should we respond? How should we live our lives this week? Maybe this might change how we look at relationships, and our politics, and our work, and our resources, and our future. And if it takes a little time for all this to sink in, to believe and trust that these promises are true, well, let's keep in mind that we're in good company. Jesus' first disciples struggled with belief, trust, and faith as well. So there you have it. Two critical insights about Christian life. Resurrection takes time to sink in, and joy only and always comes as a gift. It's not created by faith or limited by doubt. Thanks be to God. Dear God, remind us again and often of the good news of resurrection and new life, that we may in time